0: Let's take a bowl and turn to Romans chapter 7, shall we? Romans chapter 7. And let's look at the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for the privilege we have as believers of coming together in this place. We thank you, Father, that... Uh, We can join together to worship you, but Lord, we can also join together to come around your word, that word which you delivered unto us, uh, Lord God, with the intent of revealing your heart, your will, and your person to us. We pray, Father, tonight as we look into your word that we would uh, see what you have for us, that Lord, we would learn from your word, that you would instruct us through it, you challenge us by it, and I pray that you give me wisdom from on high. Use me, Father God, to your glory tonight, I want to say only that which you would have me to say, it may be said, Father God, in the way that you would have it said, that you might receive all the praise and all the glory, for this we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You know, there is something within human nature that makes us want to go to extremes. And it seems that Christians tend to be one of the greatest culprits in that regard. You know, there are two extremes in particular in the Christian realm. The first extreme is the extreme that says, since we are saved by grace, we're free to live as we please. That extreme has a title, and that extreme is called license, which Paul addressed in Romans chapter 6, where he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And so the subject of license was dealt with in Romans chapter 6. On the other hand, there's those who say, but we cannot ignore the law cannot ignore God's law. We are saved by grace, but we ought to live under the law if we're to please God, if we're to be sanctified. And this extreme is the extreme of legalism. And it's that extreme of legalism that Paul now addresses here in Romans chapter 7. Paul wants to argue, or Paul's going to argue in this chapter, that we're not saved by the law and we cannot be sanctified by keeping the law. You see, legalism is a belief that I can become holy, that I can please God by obeying God's law, basically the Mosaic law. It's measuring spirituality by a list of do's and don'ts. It judges our spirituality by outward actions and not by an inward relationship. What legalists fail to understand is the real purpose of God's law. To understand what the law of God is all about. And to understand the relationship of the law of God between God's law and grace. In Romans chapter 7, Paul discusses three topics, which if you and I understand them as believers and we apply them to our knowledge and our lives, they'll deliver us from legalism. The first of these topics we want to deal with tonight, which is found in verses 1 through 6, it's the authority of the law. The authority of the law. He starts it in verse 1 with, Know ye not brethren? Or are you ignorant brethren of certain truths? He's saying to them, there is something they ought to know. There's something that every believer should know. Particularly these Rome believers he's dealing with, they should know certain things. Now, it takes us back to verse 14 of chapter 6 to get the context. In verse 14, it says this, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. We're not under the law, we're under grace, and there's certain things we ought to know, and we should not be ignorant of these things. And Paul is telling his readers in this confronting way, are you ignorant of this? In this confronting way, that there are some facts that he's about to reveal to them that they already ought to know. That what he's about to say is something that they should know. And so he says, for I speak to them that know the law. That's what he says in verse 1. For I speak to them that know the law. You know this. You know the law. And because you know the law, what I'm about to tell you should be something you understand. He's speaking to believers because he says, no, you not brethren. So he's speaking to the saved, he's speaking to the born again believers in Rome. He's speaking to you and I who know Jesus Christ as Savior. And he's telling you and I that there are certain things that he's about to declare to us that we ought to know. Believers who know about the law. So he firstly shares a principle about that law. And the principle is this, simply put, that law, any law, has dominion or rules over a man for as long as he lives. That's the law stated here. Know you not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. How everybody ought to know this. This is a, fact of law any law any law has dominion over you and I as long as we live because the reality is dead men didn't have to keep the laws of the land once you're dead you're not accountable to anybody you can't be held accountable in court of law you can't be held accountable uh, by the police you can't you know under any law you're free from the law because you're dead when a man dies all his personal responsibility Towards law ceases. Now, everybody ought to know that. That's what Paul says. I'll speak to you. You should not be ignorant of this. You should know this fact, that you are under the law so long as you're alive. But once you're dead, you're free from the law. Now, having established that fact, which seems like an obvious fact, but having established that fact, Paul now goes on to give a specific example of a law that he wants to use to illustrate a truth about God's law. So in verse 1, he's talking about any law, not the law of Moses, but any law. He's about to deal with the law of Moses, that law which condemns us because we cannot keep it. And he wants to explain our relationship to the law of Moses by explaining to us a law that exists because God declared it to be so. In Romans chapter 6, Paul used an illustration of the master and servant to help us understand how, what our relationship is to yielding ourselves unto God. That like servants, we're to yield to our master. We have a choice. There's one master which is death, the other master is life. One master is, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the ways of death, and sin, the other is Christ. And we have a choice to make. Which master we're going to yield to. So he uses the illustration of the master to explain, and servant to explain how we ought to yield to God. Now he uses the illustration of the husband and wife to show that we have a new relationship to the law because of our relationship or union with Christ. And so in verse two and three he says this for the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband, so long as she liveth as long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, for that she is no adulteress. So that she is no longer so she is no adulteress, though she be married to another. Now the illustration is simple. When we marry, we are united for life. And there is no getting out of that union except by death. And so in Romans chapter 7 and verse 2, what the apostles has explained to us here is explaining to us that marriage, that in marriage, a woman is under the authority of God's law of marriage. For as long as her husband lives. Verse 2, for the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband, so long as he liveth. This is the law, God's law, the law of the husband. Now the word bound there in verse 2 means to tie, to enchain, to fasten. And we all know that the Bible teaches, you know, that uh, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. We know that to be God's principle law that's the law here he's speaking about that in the law of marriage when when people get married they're bound, they're tied together and chained together, they're fastened together for life according to God's word marriage is a binding relationship and the apostle explains that there is only one exception or rather one exemption to the law of marriage and that is that a woman is not bound to her husband once he is dead. Verse 2 again. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. If he's dead, she is loosed, verse 2 says. The word loosed is to be severed from, to be made free from the law of her husband. Now, notice it says there, when it's uh, by law to her husband, it's, it, the her is in italics in both places. Because what it's inferring here is there is such a thing as called the husband law, which was in God's word, the husband law in the Old Testament, which law stated that they were bound for life. The law then in verse 3 adds some very difficult and sobering words. He says in verse 3 this, So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Here he says, If a woman leaves her husband while her husband is living, and she marries another man, she is said to commit adultery. And the reason that he gives for that statement is because of the law of the husband. The law which he stated, okay, remember in verse 1 he stated the law is simple fact, that you're free from the law once you're dead, but while you're alive you're under the dominion of that law. You're bound by that law. The illustration here is the illustration of the marriage, the same thing. The wife is bound by that law, the law of the husband. She's bound, according to God's word, to that law. She cannot marry while ever he lives. For if she leaves him and marries another, God's word declares she is committing adultery because of the husband law. Now, these are strong words. But remember this, these are Bible words. Romans chapter 7, verse 3 is God's word. This is not Paul's word. This is not my words. This is God's words. Now, I'm not going to get into a discussion about divorce tonight, for that's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is the believer's relationship to the law, the law of Moses. Okay? So the whole point of this passage, Romans chapter 7, is what is my relationship as a believer to the law of Moses? But in order to explain that relationship, the Apostle Paul is taking an illustration from the word of God, the law of the husband, the law of marriage, in order to explain my relationship to the law before I was saved and now that I am saved. So this is really not a discussion about divorce in this passage because that's not the point of the passage. And the Lord uses the marriage relationship to explain an important truth to us about our relationship to the law now that we're saved. In Romans chapter 7, the Lord wants us to understand that, like in the case of marriage, where the only change to marriage relationship, the only way to change the marriage relationship, is if the husband dies, the only way for you and I to be loosed from the dominion of the law is for us to die to the law. That's verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. What's been stressed here in Romans chapter 7 is this, that marriage, as far as God is concerned, is till death do us part. Now that doesn't mean that God does not love those who are divorced. Nor does it mean that somehow they can never be forgiven. Or that God will not bless them. But that's not true. That's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is he's making a statement of fact that marriage is till death do us parts. And if that is not true, then the illustration he's about to give us here in verses 4 through 6 makes no sense. Okay? The illustration of verses 4 through 6 is dependent upon the truth of verses 1 through 3. And he's made it clear, you know this. Okay? Know ye not, brethren, these are things you should know. You should know that a man is under the dominion of the law. He's bound to the law as long as he liveth. The only way that he can be broken from the law is to die. You should also know that the husband-wife relationship is is a relationship that's binding and it cannot be broken any other way than by death. So that now we can understand our relationship to the law. So now in Romans chapter 7, verses 4 through 6, Paul applies the illustration that he's just given to the believer's relationship to the law, where he says, firstly, we died to the law. Verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, you also become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Starts out with wherefore. Here's the connection. Remember, whenever you see a therefore or a wherefore in the word of God, you ask what it's therefore?" Well, the wherefore here is because it's connected us to the previous passage. He says, wherefore, my brethren, ye are also become dead to the law. The point here is that because we, when Christ died, and we placed our faith and trust in him, we died in Christ. At salvation, we died in Christ. We were buried with him. Therefore the law's authority over us has been broken. The law has dominion over us while ever we're unsaved. But because of our union with Christ, because our relation to Christ through salvation, that union, that relationship to the law, that dominion of the law, that binding of the law over us has been broken. Before we were saved, we were under the dominion of the law. And remember... What the law did to you and I before we got saved was condemn us. Remember, the law cannot save anybody. The law cannot justify anybody. It's not by works of, of righteousness, it's not by keeping the law that you and I are saved. In fact, the law was given as a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The law was given to point out to you and I how wicked and sinful we were before a holy God so that we might realize we need a Savior. Before we were saved, we were under the dominion of the law, and the dominion of the law declared that you and I were condemned. Just as the law of the husband bound the wife, so the law of Moses bound us. Just as the wife was not able to marry another, except she be called an adulteress, we are not able to put on Christ. We're not able to be married to Christ. While ever, we're under the bondage of the law. When, when we're unsaved, we could not be married to another. So he says in verse 4, Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another. The reason why we've died is so we can married to another. If we had not died to the law, we could not marry another. In this case, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. So just as the wife is free from the law of her husband when her husband died, we are free from the law of Moses, from that condemnation that the law brings when our old men died in Christ. It's true in life, isn't it? The only sure way of escaping the laws of the land is to die. It's a bit drastic, I know. A bit extreme, I know, but it works. And that's the point here. Paul said the only way The only way that you and I can be freed from the dominion of the law, that bondage we find ourselves in because of the law, the law is condemning us, the only way to have freedom is to be dead to that law and alive under Christ. And when we trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we were united to him because we died to the law. Now notice here, it's not the law that dies. Wherefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law by the body of Christ. The law doesn't die. Because God's law rules over man always. The word of God never ceases to be the word of God. The principle of God's word never ceases to be the principle of God's word. And the apostle is going to deal with the relationship of the law to you and I in that sense that the law still reigns from verse 7 onwards, he's going to deal with the other part of that because in verse 7 he says, what should we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. You going to explain the law as a purpose. But right here he's trying to lay the foundation to say, listen, the law of God is not dead, but we have died to its dominion. We're no longer condemned by the law. We died so the law would no longer have dominion over us. Go back to chapter 6 and verse 6 if you would please. This is knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. That's the principle. The old man is crucified with him. We are dead. Because we have died, we are therefore legally separated from, from the law. The law has no more dominion over us. So we're now free to marry another. Now we need to understand this, that this does not make us lawless. For salvation we arose, and we're now united to Christ to live a new kind of life. That's what he says at the end of verse 4. Even to him who was raised from the dead that we should bring forth fruit to God. You see, all of our righteousnesses, before we got saved, were filthy rags. You and I could not do anything that was um, fruits unto righteousness. But now that we're saved, you and I could bring forth fruit unto God. You and I can now walk in a newness of life. Go to chapter 8, verse 4, if you would please. Uh, verse 3, it says this, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You and I have been freed from the law by our co-relationship with Christ, our co-crucifixion with Christ. We died with him so that you and I now can do, as Romans 8, 4 says, so that you and I now can fulfill the law in us, that the rights of the law might be fulfilled in us. We've been set free from the law, so that that very law might produce in us the works of righteousness. Because in our own strength, we could not keep the law. So we died in the law. We were united to Christ and now we're empowered by him to fulfill that law. You and I no longer have a list of rules, of do's and don'ts that we have to live by. We don't have a list of do's and don'ts that we can't keep. But now we have the Holy Spirit who directs us and empowers us to do his will, to fulfill the righteousness of the law. And this is where believers go wrong. What they do is they take the law and they say, here is a list of do's and don'ts and to be sanctified, you must tick off those do's and don'ts. You go down the list and say, I don't do that, I don't do that, oh, I do that, when I'm. don't do that, well, I'm not sanctified. That's not what God says. We couldn't keep the law in our own strength before we got saved, and there's no way in our own strength we can keep the law. Now we are saved. You and I have been delivered from the law. We have been placed into the household of God. We've been powered by the Holy Spirit who indwells us so that the law might be fulfilled in us. The righteous of the law might be fulfilled in us so that when we walk by the Spirit, as it says in Romans 8 verse 4, We walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. As we walk after the Spirit, He empowers you and I so that we do the law as part of our normal behavior, not because of a list of do's and don'ts. This is where we go so wrong often with young people. We try to get young people to conform to a set of rules and practices. They have to live this way, they have to dress this way, they have to listen to this, they have to do this, and if they do all those things, then they are indeed sanctified. No, if they do all these things, then they simply have conformed to a set of rules. But if the Spirit of God works in them, and the Spirit of God changes them, transforms them, by the renewing of their minds to the Word of God, and they're transformed from the inside out, they will then produce the fruits of righteousness because they've been transformed, not because they are conforming. That's true for all of us. God does not want conformity. God wants transformation. And that's the point here. You and I have been released from the law that we might be transformed, that we might fulfill, or we might bring forth the fruits of righteousness. We're not free from the law so we can live to ourselves. We're free from the law so we can marry to the Lord, so that we can bear fruit to God. To be dead to the law does not mean that we are lawless, beloved. Living as we please. What it means to be free from the law is that you and I now have the power to live lives that bring glory to God. Through our co crucifixion with Christ, we're free to serve the Lord. We have liberty. The bringing forth of fruit to God is proof that we have indeed been free from the law and we've been bound to Christ. You see, we are spiritual. We are sanctified when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, not when we're doing the law. That's where so many make the mistake. We, we read something in God's Word, we then try to do it because we think that will make us sanctified, make us spiritual. When God says, I don't want you to do it. I don't want you to be conformed to this law. I want you to allow me to transform you to live it. It becomes second nature to you. So Paul says that our motivation for living does not come from the law it comes from God's grace through our union with Christ. Isn't that what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20? Verse we all know well What he's saying here is exactly what he's saying in Romans. Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That in a nutshell is what Paul is saying in Romans chapter seven. At salvation I am crucified with Christ. But nevertheless I live. But it's not me living. It's Christ that liveth in me that makes the difference. Out of love we seek to please the Lord. Not by a set of do's and don'ts but by searching his will and living in his power because we're alive in him. And thirdly this. Evening, The second marvelous aspect of the believer's relationship with the law is we are delivered from the law. Verses 5 and 6. For When we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But when we were delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in unity of spirit, not in the oldness of letter. Now it starts up here in the verse, it says, for when we were in the flesh, well, that simply means is when you and I were in our unregenerate state, when we were unsaved. Romans 8, 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is not of his. We are, this whole point, here in the flesh has been unsaved. When you and I were in unsaved condition, it says, "When you and I were unsaved, the motions of sins which were by the Lord did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death." Now the word "motions of sins," what a quaint phrase that is! The motions of sins means this: means the affections or passions of sins. In fact, the word "motions" ha- has the idea means that we feel something deeply. We feel something strongly. It's something we feel deeply about. We feel strongly about. So the motions of sins means that the motions of our bodies strongly felt a need to sin. So in the flesh, we desired or we had passions for sin. And there were passions for sin... Because the law made them so. That's what it says in verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Under the law, we did not bear fruit to God. Instead, we bore fruit to death. Because the law aroused the passions of sins within us. That phrase where it says in verse 5, uh, where it says, which were by the law, which were by the law means simply this. The law defines what is righteous and what is sin. And our bodies, our flesh, desired that which was unrighteous. In fact, because the law said, do not, we wanted to. Okay? You see a sign, heap off the grass what you want to do. You see a sign, wet paint, what do you want to do? You always want to touch it. I mean, you know you shouldn't, but you want to. It's a compulsion. Somebody says, "Mum and Dad say, Don't do something. What do you want to do? Okay? It's a compulsion. It's just something part of us. You see, human nature says, When somebody says, Don't, we want to. So the law of God says, Don't. And what does it do? It raises passions within the unsaved to want to do. The law is not making them sin, but because the law points out what is sin, mankind wants to do it. One wanted to put it this way, and I thought this was probably the best way of explaining it. Not that they were originated or created by the law, for a law does not originate evil propensities. And a holy law would not cause sinful passions. But they were excited, called up, inflamed by the law which forbids their indulgence. That's what he's saying. The law makes us want to do the wrong thing in the flesh. So notice what it says. For when we were in the flesh, the most of the sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Did work in our members. That's in our bodies. Remember we've seen the word members before. That's in our bodies. In us. You see, the flesh is not sinful in and of itself. This flesh is not sinful in and of itself. But sinful passions are a product or are produced in and by our members. These passions used our flesh to produce in us simple thoughts, simple acts that worked in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Our flesh... Ourself desires to live in sin. That was the unstaged state. The law showed what was wrong. We wanted to do what was wrong because the passions were inflamed in us to do wrong and think wrong because the law said we shouldn't do it. It did work in our members. And what the truth is, it was impossible for you and I to bring forth any other kind of fruit than death. The end of verse 5, Did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death sound like a familiar refrain? Well, it ought to. Look in Romans chapter 6, verse 20. For when you are the servants of sin, you are free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from the sin and become servants of God, you have your fruit in a holiness and to end everlasting life, for the wage of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Similar refrain. The consequence of the work of sin in our members was that you and I could bring forth only one kind of fruit, and that fruit was death. We may have done good works, but they were dead works. We may have been religious, but it was dead religion. Because when we were unsaved, we were not able to live by the law. The law simply condemned us. The more we sought to do right, and the more we lived our lives, the more we were condemned by the very law that God had given. Verse 6 gives to us the contrast. But now... We, have been, we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, we should serve in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of letter. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead. The word delivered here means to be made free from, to be cleared of the law. The law cannot exercise its authority over a dead person remember that's what he made his point at the beginning verse 1 through 3 the whole point was that while ever a person is alive the law governs that all law governs us as dominion over us while we're living and the law of the husband has the governing dominion over the wife while ever he lives now he comes to the whole point of this, where he says this. But now we are delivered from the law. Why? Because we are dead. The law cannot exercise authority over us because we are dead. The phrase in verse 6, that being dead in which we were held, is a very convoluted way of saying simply, having be delivered from that which we were held, which held us in bondage. Okay? We have been delivered from that which held us in bondage. What held us in bondage? The law. You and I could not escape the law. The law was condemning us. The old account was getting larger every day. We were condemned by that law. We were in bondage to it. So that which held us in bondage, we could not be delivered from except that we died. And we have been delivered from that bondage by our death. Death in Christ is delivered from the bondage, that dominion of the law. And now we're told what's the result of that in verse 6. The end of the verse, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in oldness of letter. We We can now serve in newness of spirit because we've been saved. The Christian life is not one of independence and rebellion it is one of dependence and submission because we have died to the law so we might live to serve Christ. Now, the phrase newness of the Spirit means under the influence of the Spirit of God. You and I have been delivered from the dominion of the law by our relation to Christ, which means we've died to the law, so that you and I, by the power of the Spirit, might walk in the newness of life. That's verse... 4 of chapter 6 says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism and death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. You see, the Word of God does not teach lawlessness, but a new motivation for doing things and a new power to do them. And so he says, that you and I should serve the newness of spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. That's not in the literal, mechanical obedience to the divine law. As believers, we are free from the law. We don't have to live by a list of do's and don'ts. We're not to live by a mechanical, methodical, literal obedience to the divine law as a set of external rules of conduct for us. But by the Holy Spirit who energizes us and empowers us, we serve the Lord and therefore we fulfill the righteousness that's in the law. This is a wonderful truth. You see, we don't believe in license, but we don't believe in legalism either, beloved. Okay? We have liberty in Christ. We're free from the law and empowered to serve the Lord. And as you and I yield to the Spirit, He then transforms us from the inside, so that we live on the outside and walk on the outside in the works of righteousness that come by the law. not the law. Therefore, we have lived in Christ. And now we should live by the newness, in the newness of life by the Spirit. Somebody said this, it's a shame that many serve sin or legalism with more devotion than those who serve God out of a newness of spirit. Now the hymn writer said this, free from the law, oh happy condition. For our liberty in Christ, beloved, is truly a happy condition, isn't it? We've been delivered from the law. And that should move us to yield to Christ that we might be empowered by the Spirit, that we might serve Him in the newness of life. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you tonight that we're free from the law and truly it's a happy condition. And Lord, may we have understood the principle of this passage tonight, that the Lord does not have dominion over us anymore, that we've been set free, that we have liberty, and that now we are empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit that we might walk in the Spirit, in the newness of life. That we might fulfill the righteousness of the law without complying to a list of rules of do's and don'ts. Father, we thank you for the liberty we have in Christ. We pray that you bless blessed now this night as we close. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.